All right, guys, good morning. Good to see everybody. It's a blessing to be here. My uh, seat's got me a little bit lower today. I've got some new leg issues after the surgery, so I'm trying to figure out how to deal with these things. Instead <laughs> of my legs fall asleep all the way, I don't want to get up from here and keel over. You guys think I fell over in the spirit or something there? But <laughs> so uh, anyway, we're, we're working out this stuff here, okay? I want to thank the Lord for... Uh, the guys who kept the teaching of the word strong during the time I was absent there. So, Lord, bless you guys. Thank you. Uh, I'm amazed the Lord has blessed our church, our fellowship here, with uh, so many pastor teachers that can continue the work. So, the Lord, uh, he's given us opportunity to continue to get his word going out stronger all the time. And we're just so grateful for every opportunity. Thank you for the, uh, the people that he's provided. And thank you guys for your patience, too, uh, for everything there. We're in uh, 1 Kings chapter 13 today as we're going to get into our study. Uh, I want to pick up kind of where Dave brought us to here as he was gracious to continue our study for us in 1 Kings. Uh, we're going to do a little backtracking into chapter 12 because I want to get some of the uh, context there. Also, uh, it directly links to chapter 13. So in uh, 1 Kings 13, we're going to back up a little bit to chapter 12 and we're going to jump in at verse 25. Just a reminder for what's going on right here. We've got the divided kingdom at this point. We've got the uh, 10 tribes in the north, and uh, they're referred to as Israel. There's a tribe Judah in the south, and that's what the southern kingdom is referred to as the kingdom of Judah. And uh, there are two guys that have come up in the last chapter. Dave went through those guys. We've got Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And I don't know about you, but I get confused by their names because they're pretty close here, you know. There's not much difference between them. So uh, don't think I'm sacrilegious here. I'm just going to try to nickname these guys to help keep them uh, in my head a little clearer too. Uh, Jeroboam, I'm going to call him Jerry in the north there. And then Rehoboam, I'm going to call him Rob in the south. So uh, it helps me to think, you know, Jerry's in the north, Rob's in the south. Just because that bomb really throws my, my mind there for a loop. I got to warn you too, my mind isn't quite uh, what it used to be. I don't know how many drugs are still floating around inside of me. So if I start talking goofy and saying stuff that's way off the wall, then I'd, I'd ask one of these uh, pastor teachers we have to come up and say, uh, we need to let Pastor Chuck's mind rest a little bit further, and uh, we'll just continue on with a little devotion here. So Pastor Chuck, you can have a seat. So seriously, uh, I'll do the best I can, and we'll see. Uh, we really want the Lord to do a miraculous thing today and really speak through his word here. So 1 Kings uh, Chapter 12 and verse 25 says, Then Jeroboam, Jerry, uh, built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. So he's making his new capital for the north. He's got to have a capital somewhere. And he went out from there and he built Penuel. So he's starting a building project here. And it looks like, wow, this guy's he's pretty good. He's building stuff. He's doing things. Looks like he's on the move. And it says, And Jeroboam, Jerry here, said in his heart, now the kingdom may return to the house of David. So he's got a concern that's come to mind. He's thinking, I could lose this kingdom. I've just started. I'm the king. I've got 10 tribes. I've got this northern territory. But what if I lose it? What if things change and these people go back to the southern kingdom of Judah and, and go back there? So you notice this thought, it came from his heart. It didn't come from the Lord. And, you know, the Lord warns us, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So we got to be really careful when we listen to our heart. 
we better check on our thoughts, you know, that we're about to act on and ask, Lord, is this thought from you or is it from me? Because the thought he had here was not from the Lord, and we can show you that. What did the Lord already tell King Jerry here? Look back to chapter 11 and look down to verse 31. In uh, chapter 11, verse 31, he's being spoken to here by Ahijah, uh, a prophet the Lord sent to him. And he said to Jeroboam, take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord God of Israel. So this is a message directly from the Lord. Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon, hand of Solomon, and I will give you ten tribes. So this is God giving this to him. It's nothing he earned, nothing he had to fight for. He didn't have to conquer this land or conquer these people. God is giving him these ten tribes. So this is all the work of the Lord. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David, talking about Rehob here, Rob as I've called him, and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because he has forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and keep my statutes and my judgment and did as his father David. So he was very clearly told here by the Lord, here's why Solomon is losing everything, why I'm ripping the kingdom apart here because of all the idolatry he was in. So he knew this. He wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't oblivious to this. And when he goes into idolatry himself, he goes into this with his eyes wide open, knowing God is not pleased with idolatry, okay? Verse 34, however, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand because I have made him ruler all the days of his life, life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose because he kept my commandments and my statutes, but I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and give it to you. Again, I'm giving you this kingdom from the Lord, 10 tribes. And to his son, I will give one tribe that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. So I will take you and you shall reign over all your heart's desire and you shall be king over Israel. Now that's what the Lord told him, okay? So when this thought comes to his mind in uh, chapter 12 of what if, what if I lose this kingdom? That is not coming from the Lord. The Lord has very clearly said, I'm going to place this kingdom in your hand, okay? Now if you notice, um, there's something else I meant to, to read there in that verse, I'm sorry. Um, look what it says there in verse 38. We're back in chapter 11, so verse 38. Uh, it shall be that if you heed all that I command you, so the Lord said, I'm giving this to you, and you walk in my ways, you do what's right in my sight to keep my statutes and judgments as my servant David did. So he's saying it is possible to do this. Then I will be with you. What amazing promise from God. I'll be with you. And I will build for you an enduring house as I built for David and will give Israel to you. So what's the Lord saying? This, this, this kingdom is yours, and it's solidly yours as long as you follow me and you do what I tell you to do. So it looks like the only thing that would cause Jerry to lose his kingdom would be for him to personally disobey the Lord. That's really the only thing he needs to worry about according to what God told him. So uh, his, his own walk with the Lord, that should have been his only concern. 
He should have just been checking his own heart and asking, am I obeying the Lord or not? And you know what? That's not a bad question for any of us to ask ourselves right now. Am I obeying the Lord or not? You know, Jerry explains his thinking in the next verse, and this is why he was afraid of losing the kingdom. This is what else was going through his mind. And I personally think the devil was influencing his thoughts big time at this point because of where this is all going to lead. But back in chapter 12, if you look down to verse 27, it says, If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord. He's not talking about the Lord God. <laughs> He's talking about Rehoboam, king of Judah, you know, Rob. And it says, here's what he thinks is going to happen next. They're going to kill me, and they're going to go back to Rob, king of Judah. That's what's in his mind, okay? So he's worried that if his people got on Jerusalem for the three major feasts that the Lord required all Jews to attend in Jerusalem, that it just might touch their heart. Something might happen, and they're going to get rid of him, and they're going to give their allegiance back to the king of Judah. So now he's afraid of losing the kingdom and his life, okay? Stuff he didn't need to worry about at all, as long as he was walking with the Lord. So what do you do if you're afraid that your people might go worship the true God and they might not follow you anymore. Well, you just start your own religion, and then you convince them to go along with it. So now we're going to see how to start your own false religion. <laughs> in, chat, in verse 28, it says, Therefore, the king asked advice. And I've heard that that phrase there literally means he asked advice of himself. <laughs> I think, according to everything we see, that sounds about right. So whoever he did ask advice of, it wasn't going to be good. He made two calves of gold. Now, he's been in Egypt, right? He was running from Solomon for a while, been hanging out there. He saw these calves of gold that they seemed to worship, and I guess he figured it works good there. It'll work here. So he's, he's got these two calves of gold, and he said to the people, now here's his sale, sales pitch. It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, which is in the south. It's pretty close to the border of the southern kingdom, but it's still in the northern kingdom. And the other one he put in Dan, which is way up north. Okay, So he put one at each end of the territory to make it very convenient for the people to be able to go either north or south. You don't have to go all the way to Jerusalem, but you can go one of these other places. And I'm sure he tried to fancy it up to make it a nice little vacation spot for them, too, to go to just to, to make it nicer for them, because it's got to be convenient. So here's how he started his false religion. First of all, he got some very bad advice. <laughs> and if you want to get bad advice, you probably don't have to look too far. And somebody from your own family will probably give you some very bad advice, okay? It's out there. Secondly, he made some visible idols, okay, that his people could see and look at. This way, the people could walk not by faith, but by sight. And the flesh loves to do that, right? Thirdly, then he just had to sell it to the people, and he found a good way to do that. We're going to look at that some more. Fourthly, he did that. He made it convenient for the people. Those were the, the, basically the four steps he took to start his new false religion. Now, obviously, I don't recommend that anybody would start their own religion. There are way too many false religions in the world the way it is. But in case you ever wondered why are there so many false religions this shows us how easy it is to get one going, okay? 
And of course, the devil's behind each one of those false religions of the world. So you do have help. The, the devil's going to help you on the, the spiritual side of that, which is not good, obviously. So down to verse 30. Now this thing became a sin for the people. Uh, it says, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. Now notice here, the Lord calls it for what it is, sin. All right? So every religion other than true Christianity is sin. So let's not fool ourselves. It's pure sin in the eyes of the Lord. And I have to say, you know, when we talk about this, we're talking about true Christianity because there's been some things that have tried to creep into Christianity and claim that they are part of Christianity, and they are not. You know, some of the cults even claim to be part of Christianity. But notice here, the Lord tells us something in verse 30. The people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. So he started his false religion, and the people followed. Now, we're not told in this passage, but there are a lot of people that left the northern kingdom and went to the south. They couldn't handle this crazy stuff he was pulling. We see that later on in Second Kings when we get there. Uh, some of the priests, they couldn't go with this. Some of the Levites said, no way. So they went down to the south too. Uh, verse 31, he made shrines on the high places and he made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. So he made it even more convenient for people by adding some extra shrines on the high places, you know, in case it was too far for the people to go to Bethel or to go to Dan. You know, and I believe there are people right now who are settling with going to a church because it's more convenient for them, even though they're not getting taught the word of God there and they're not getting spiritually fed. So folks, we need to be careful when it comes to things being convenient because we can make some very bad choices when we fall for the temptation of convenience. And you know, notice too here how he had re no regard for the clear instructions the Lord gave concerning the tribe of Levi. He's appointing his own priest, it says from every class of people, and it very clearly says who are not of the sons of Levi. They weren't even close to the people the Lord had chosen to be involved in the priesthood or those who were going to help the priest in serving of the offering of the sacrifices. Instead, Jerry did his own thing, directly going against God's ways. And that's the danger of us leaning on our own understanding. We can end up going directly against God if we're not careful. So when the Lord warns us about that in Proverbs 3, it's a very serious thing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. We're easily self-deceived, guys. So verse 32, Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah, and that happened in the seventh month, but he's going to uh, mock that. He's going to uh, copy that here. And he says he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did at Bethel, you know, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And at Bethel, he installed the priests of the high places which he had made. So he made up his own feast so the people would be preoccupied with that and not feel bad that, oh, we missed the feast at Jerusalem. Oh, no, we got our own feast coming up here next month. Just hang in there. And notice how he copied some things from true Judaism in order to get the people to swallow this, okay? He copied a feast. He copied the sacrifices in the altar. He even copied the priesthood. 
Now, none of these were legitimate, okay? But he wasn't concerned about that. They just had to be good enough to make the people feel comfortable, you know, with something that was familiar to them. And you see, the devil knows that if he's going to fool people, he's going to have to throw some truth in there somewhere because truth is powerful, and he knows without it, you, you don't have much going for you. That's why the cults have some truth. They just twist it to make it fit their own agenda. You know, but the enemy, he's real slick in the way he does things. So verse 33, so he made offerings on the altar which he had made at Bethel on the 15th day of the eighth month. Notice he's even taken the place himself of being a high priest. This guy has no fear of the Lord, right? Yeah, he's making sacrifices himself. It says in the month which he had devised in his own heart. And that's a good description of his religious view here. And he ordained a feast, I like this, for the children of Israel, you know? And he offered sacrifices on the altar and he burned incense. <laughs> you see, he did this all for the children of Israel, <laughs> right? <laughs> At least that's what they were supposed to think, you know? How sad, because we see that deception still in the world today, don't we? People say, you strap this bomb on you and we'll take care of your family and you'll get 70 virgins and we're doing this all for you, right? Yeah, or you keep voting for our guys and we'll make sure your welfare checks keep coming in because we care about you. <laughs> all this deception that still goes on in the world, you know, hasn't changed. Now look at chapter 13 and notice how this connects with what's going on. It says, and behold, a man of God went from Judah, the southern kingdom, to Bethel by the word of the Lord. So God sent this guy, and it says, Jerry stood by the altar to burn incense. So he's getting ready to do his priestly duty of burning incense to his false god, and all of a sudden this guy shows up because the Lord sent him, all right? Now look at the picture here. Notice how the Lord is trying to rescue Jerry and all the people from going in the wrong direction. This guy's digging his own grave. He's getting deeper and deeper into sin, and he's even leading God's people astray by what he's doing. So the Lord's gonna step in here and try to get him to repent, as well as the people who are following him. Now think about this. I believe the Lord goes after a lot more people to get them to repent and follow him than they would like to admit, you know? We usually only hear stories about those people who responded the right way, those who turned to the Lord. But do you realize that every tract that we hand out at the Prayed Outreach and every effort that you make personally to tell someone about the Lord is actually the Lord trying to reach that person. He desires that none should perish. And every time we try to reach people for Christ, every time you make an effort to do that, God is reaching through us to reach them. The Apostle Paul said, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So I believe the Lord has given a lot of people a chance to repent. This guy, Jerry here, as I call him, he's never going to repent. He's just a pure wicked guy. But the Lord still went and, and went to great effort to give him a chance to turn around. Yeah, so we're going to learn some stuff as we look at this. So verse 2, then he cried out against the altar. So here's the man of God, as he's called, God sent from Judah, southern kingdom. And it's kind of sad. It's like 
Weren't there any good people in the northern kingdom of sin? I don't think so. I don't think so. So here's a guy that came from the southern kingdom of Judah. He's called a man of God. He's sent there by the Lord, and now he's crying out against the altar that, that Jerry's about to sacrifice his stuff on. It says, he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord. This is all done by the Lord. And he said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David. And on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. Now, some have said this is the most amazing prophecy because a guy is named Josiah hundreds of years before he's even born. Amazing. The Lord gave a very specific title. says, this guy, and here's his name. He's going to be born, and here's what he's going to do. And he's going to be of the house of David. He's not coming from the northern kingdom. He's coming from the southern kingdom. So the Lord's telling Jerry about Josiah, who's going to be born over 200 years later, that he's going to burn the bones of these false priests that he's just appointed. He's going to burn their bones on the altar. And that's exactly what he did when he became king. Uh, we'll see that later on as we get further in the Old Testament. He actually got the bones of these priests. They were dead long gone. He took their bones, ground them up, and burned them on the altar. So he actually fulfilled his prophecy hundreds of years later. Now, the people hearing this prophecy for the first time from this man of God, they probably didn't care much because they're thinking, this prophecy is way in the future. We don't even, this child hasn't even been born yet by what you told us. So how are we going to know if it's true? You know? I mean, we could say, hey, there's a guy going to come in 300 years, and guess what he's going to do? And you're like, well, how are we going to know that? We won't be here in 300 years, right? So the Lord's also going to give them an immediate sign, and that's what we see in verse 3. He gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart, and the ashes on it shall be poured out. Okay? So he was saying, this sign's going to happen right away, and you're going to see this one. So you know it's from the Lord. So verse 4. So it came to pass, when King Jerry heard the saying of the man of God, who cried out against the altar in Bethel, that he stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, arrest him. And you can see he's trying to shut this guy up. You're messing with my plan here, right? Then his hand, which he stretched out toward him, Jerry's hand here, it withered so that he, not, he could not pull it back to himself. <laughs> the altar also was split apart, and the ashes poured out from the altar, exactly as it was said, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Now, you would think that these two things that happened would be enough to shock King Jerry and everybody else awake. But sadly, no, that's not going to happen. So look how hard-hearted man is. Not even powerful miracles that are proclaimed are going to happen, and they do, are enough to wake most people up to see their need to repent and to humbly come to the Lord. Most people don't wake up. The whole northern kingdom, they didn't wake up at this. And you think about this, look at all the catastrophes and natural disasters that have been going on in our own country for some time now. And you know, for, for quite a while, we hear the news reporters say, it's never happened before like this. This is the first time in our history it's happened. And you'd hear them say that. They don't even say that stuff anymore. I guess they get tired of mentioning it, but 
we know as Christians, we're thinking, yeah, the Lord's knocking very hard on the door, and is anybody paying attention? So verse 6 goes on. Then the king answered, and he said to the man of God, now here he is with one arm messed up. He can't even pull his hand back, all right? So he's a bit in shock here. And what does he say to the man of God? Please entreat the favor of the Lord your God. Did you notice that? Saying your God isn't my God. <laughs> Somebody said it's ironic. He didn't pray to his two calves. I mean, you got two calves, buddy. Why don't you pray to them? <laughs> but no, he knows there's nothing there, right? So he asked this guy, please entreat the favor of the Lord your God. He's acknowledging that's who did this stuff. So he knows. He's not blind to that. He said, and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. So the man of God, very graciously here, he entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him and became as before. Now, if you were the king here, wouldn't you ask for more than just your hand to be restored? <laughs> How about asking God to restore your heart <laughs> and give you a heart for God, you know? But no, he was only concerned about his immediate needs for himself. What a shallow, selfish prayer. And he didn't even pray for his people, just for himself. You pray for other people and not just yourselves, right? I mean, if, if we ever get to where we're just praying for ourselves, then, then we've just sunk into the depths of spiritual deadness, you know? I've seen a church like that before where we were invited to visit them, we were there, and every prayer request they had was just about us. Never a prayer request outside the four walls that they were sitting in. Yeah, so if we ever get to the point where we don't pray for anybody but our own needs, we really need the Lord to send a man of God to us to wake us up because we're at the, the verge of spiritual deadness, I think, at that point. So this verse should bother us when we see things like this. Verse 7 goes on. Then the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself. I will give you a reward. The guy just got his hand healed. The king here got it healed, and he's going to thank this guy in a very political way. <laughs> Please come home with me. <laughs> you know, have a good time. Refresh yourself. I'll give you a reward on top of it. You and I have to be really careful when you hear things like this. You don't want to give the impression that this divine warning was no big deal. It's like, oh, sure, let's go have some food, man. Everything's cool now. It's not cool now. Unless the king repents, it's not good. Everything is still wicked and evil, right? And you don't want to give the impression that you're okay with this guy and you want to fellowship with him because he's not walking with the Lord at all. He's even admitted, it's your God, it's not my God. And you're going to have fellowship with him? You better really be careful in a public setting like this for all the people to see that you're going to go in and have supper with this guy because that meant something in their culture. It meant everything's good and it's not good. You know, there are times we're going to be seen as Christians. We have to be seen as being distinct from this world, you know? We're going to have to be bold enough to say no when we're asked to compromise our stand. And thankfully, that's exactly what the man of God did right here. If you look at verse 8, the man of God, but the man of God said to the king, if you were to give me half your house, I would not go in with you nor would I eat bread, nor drink water in this place. He tells him why. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord. God told him this, saying, you shall not eat bread, 
nor drink water, nor return by the same way you came. So he went another way, and he did not return by the way he came to Bethel. So the man of God had been warned here by the Lord that the king was going to do this, and praise the Lord, this guy obeyed God completely in this. You know, he even obeyed the Lord in not returning by the same way that he came to the king. Now, do you know why the Lord told him to return to Judah by a different way? I don't know either. <laughs> but that's the kind of thing when it comes to faith and trusting the Lord. Even if we don't understand why the Lord tells us to do something, we need to obey it completely anyway, right? Yeah. So verse 11. Now, an old prophet dwelt in Bethel. <clears throat> that's in the northern kingdom, right? That's where one of these calves was set up. It's in the same area where all this has been going on. There's an old prophet there, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. So this old prophet gets the whole story. He knows everything. He knows about the warning uh, that he's not supposed to eat in that area. He knows everything, all right? So there's this old prophet lived in the same area where this man of God and the king had just had their meeting. And a question comes to mind as you think about this. Why isn't this old prophet speaking up about all the evil stuff that's going on here that King Jerry's setting up, right? It sounds like this guy's not walking with the Lord, at least not right now. And he may have served the Lord in the past, but for now, he's not. And that in itself was a sad testimony, you know? He's an old prophet. We want to finish well, folks. We want to serve Jesus to the very end, to our last breath. Don't ever plan on retiring from serving the Lord. While we're still alive, we're to continue to serve him. The Lord isn't finished with you yet. So verse 12 goes on. And their father said to them, now this is the old prophet talking to his boys. He said, which way did he go? For his sons had seen which way the man of God went, uh, who came from Judah. They saw the direction he took off to go back there. It says, then he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he rode on it. And he went after the man of God, and he found him sitting under an oak. He's probably resting, probably tired, probably hungry. Didn't, didn't have a chance to eat there. Not allowed to, so he's catching his breath here. Then he said to him, so here's the prophet talking to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Verse 15, then he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. Now, for whatever reason, this old prophet wanted to go see the man of God. Did he just want to relive the thrill of hearing what it's like for God to speak through one of his prophets? I don't know. But I do wonder <laughs> if this guy, this old prophet was trying to test the man of God and maybe even tempt him because we we're told that this old prophet's sons had told him the words that were spoken. So he knew all about that. Can't say he didn't, you know, so he should have been aware of that. If that's what he was up to, to trying to tempt this guy to see, let's see how tough this guy really is, or if he really is going to stand here for God, what's going to happen? If that's what he's up to, then we need to take heed to this. This old prophet, who used to work for the Lord, is not working for the enemy. And I think he's going to regret this later on in the story. Some things happen, I think, that give us evidence this guy was sorry for what he did after the fact. And I think we get a real good warning from this. <clears throat> We need to stay close to the Lord and not leave any room for the tricks of the enemy to slip into our thinking. The enemy's going to try to put thoughts into our mind. But if we're walking closely with the Lord, then we can be able to discern where those thoughts came from and we can reject them. 
I think this old prophet got tripped up and he got used by the devil and he's going to regret it down the road. If you look at verse 16, here's the, the man of God responding to him and he said, I cannot return with you nor go in with you, neither can I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. Now notice he says I can't return with you, so he's past the place that he wasn't supposed to eat. This prophet really cared, the old prophet, he could have brought food to him, but he didn't. He's asking if he come back in this territory you're not supposed to eat in. So he said, neither can I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place, for I have been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by going the same way that you came. Okay, so at this point, the man of God is still holding on to the word of God, and that's a very good thing to see. And notice how clear God's message was to him. He understood it. I'm not allowed to do that. He knew that, okay? He, he knew just what the Lord meant. And it's amazing. The Lord is very clear when he gives us a message. He's not going to make it iffy for us to kind of guess at. But when he speaks something really clear to us, we need to pay really close attention, okay, to what's going on. So look at verse 18. Here's what the old prophet says to the man of God. I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with you to your house. Bring him back, right? That he may eat bread and drink water. Then we're told here, kind of in the background, he was lying to him. Wow, what a dirty trick this guy pulled. And he knew he was doing it. He lied to him. But you know, the Lord warns you and me about accepting the message of an angel if he tries to change the clear teaching of God's word. You remember Galatians 1? It says, if anyone comes to you with a different gospel than the one I've given you, very clear gospel of the Lord, if anyone comes with a different one, even if it's an angel, you know, let him be accursed. Don't, don't receive that. So we know that. This, this prophet should have known to check this with the Lord himself. He should have known that. Verse 19, so he went back with him and he ate bread in his house and he drank water. So the man of God fell for the temptation here of getting some food. He probably was very hungry, but he definitely should have checked this out with the Lord himself before he went with the old prophet, you know? One of the things we learn from this is you better check things out with the word of God for yourself. Don't just believe something because some pastor or some prophet or God or some angel tries to tell you something. You better make sure it doesn't violate what God has already clearly said. And there's another good principle here too that comes, uh, the first thing is the first clear revelation of God's word should be the standard. And any new revelation that comes after that should be checked out by the standard of the first revelation. For instance, the Lord had given the world the Bible already, okay, before Islam ever came around. So the book of Islam should be checked by the Bible, which is the first revelation of God, and not vice versa. The same way, the Book of Mormon came long after the Bible had already been in existence. So the Book of Mormon should be checked by the Bible. The Bible's the first revelation, it's the standard. And remember, Joseph Smith, you know, he even got his revelations by an angel. Moroni, right? So we need, to, we need to check everything else out by the Bible, and if we don't, then we can be deceived like this guy was. <clears throat> Verse 20, <clears throat> excuse me. Now it happened as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came to the old prophet, that's the guy he's coming to, who had brought him back, 
And he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah. And he said, thus says the Lord, very clear, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but you came back, you ate bread and you drank water in the place of which the Lord said to you, eat no bread, drink no water, your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. Okay, so you're not going to have that, that blessed burial that is an honor to anyone to be buried with their family. Basically, you're going to die. That's what he's being told here, okay? Wow, there's a lot going on here. The old prophet, he hears directly from the Lord. You know, it's probably been a long time since that happened, but man, this was directly from the Lord speaking through this guy. And what is it? It's a sharp rebuke for the man of God from the Lord. So the Lord's shown us in this chapter, it doesn't matter if you're our king or you're even a man of God. To disobey the word of God can bring devastating consequences in your life. And your disobedience could even lead to death. This is scary and it's intended to be that way, right? Verse 23, so it was after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk that he saddled the donkey for him, the prophet whom he had brought back. So notice, they kept eating. After this clear warning from God, they kept eating and finished the meal. That's scary. What should it have said? The man of God should have repented and said, oh my Lord, I have sinned, forgive me. We don't see that here, do we? So I don't know how this old prophet, how old he really was, but I noticed something here, it's interesting. When he wanted to ride on the donkey himself, he had his sons saddle the donkey for him. But I notice here, he saddles the donkey for this guy, for the man of God. And it may have been hard for him to do at his age, but I think this is the first sign of regret that I see from what this guy had done. You know, saddling the donkey for the man of God, you have just deceived, <laughs> is going to take away the consequences, and it's not going to remove the guilt and shame from what you have done. It's not going to take it away. Verse 24, when he was gone, so the man of God is left now, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his corpse was thrown on the road and the donkey stood by it. The lion also stood by the corpse. Now we need to catch something here. If you want to look back to chapter 11 again and look down to verse 9 in the same uh, First Kings here, look down to chapter 11 and verse 9. This is an extremely important principle. I don't know if we'll get much further than this, but boy, this is one we really got to grab. Chapter 11, verse 9, it says, so the Lord became angry with Solomon. And why was that? Because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had disobeyed the Lord, and the Lord became angry with him. Look back to Exodus chapter 4. I want you to catch something here that I don't know we talk about much, but I think we need to mention it since it comes up in the passage here. Exodus chapter 4 and verse 14. Exodus 4, 14, I'll read it to you. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. The anger of the Lord kindled against Moses. Moses had been told by the Lord, I want you to go rescue my people. And Moses had been backtracking and backtracking. And finally he says, I just... Why don't you find somebody else to do it? I really don't want to do this. It says, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Somebody might say, you know, well, Solomon, he was kind of off and on, so I could see God getting angry with him. 
But Moses, he's a friend of God. He's a man of God, right? And God got angry with him. Take a look at Psalm 90. Psalm 90, one more passage you want to see on this. And this is uh, something that is from Moses also. Psalm 90 and verse 7. He says, For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. Wow. So the fear of the Lord, that's a good thing. And we need to understand that the Lord never takes sin lightly. You know, and neither should we. Sin angers the Lord, and it should anger us when we think about sinning. And yes, the Lord becomes angry with us when we sin. He never hates us because we're his children. He loves us, but he does become angry with us when we sin. And we should understand this, right? I mean, we can get angry at our kids' disobedience, right? But we don't hate them. We love them. But we get upset with them. We're not happy. And I think it's something that I'm, I'm glad the Lord brought this up in the passage here because we're in a culture now that just says God is all love, 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 and everything's going good, and God's okay with everything, and he hates sin. I mean, what did this man of God do? He ate some food and he drank some water. Is that really a big deal? It is if God said don't do any of it. God became angry with this guy, and he's going to deal with this guy. And some people say, well, wait a minute, there were wicked people going on all over the place. We got Jerry doing his thing. We got the false, we got the old prophet here that's playing games here with the word of God. An angel told me this. He lied in the name of the Lord. And yet, who's going to get the rough treatment here? The man of God. And it taught, somebody said this, judgment begins with who? Well, I said, Lord, with God's people. Whoa. Does this put fear in us? I hope it does. <laughs> I know my daddy was a real strict authoritarian and, and he really was tough on us. And that fear of my dad kept me out of a whole lot of trouble. <laughs> so fear is a good thing when it's in the right place, right? The fear of the Lord, that's a good thing, right? <clears throat> but I want to tell you the other side of this too, right? We should understand this because our own, uh, uh, as parents, we can get angry at our kids. But God is so merciful and he's made a way out for us too to get back on his good side, so to speak, and to please him. It's called confession. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from some of the unrighteousness? No, from all unrighteousness. Now, just so you know, when we truly confess our sins like that, they are completely forgiven, right? The Lord remembers them no more. They're gone forever. So don't let the enemy beat you up over them by continually bringing your sins back to your mind. You need to forget them, just like the Lord has. You know, and he's going to, the Lord, the enemy's going to try, he's going to mess with you, but when he does, you might want to just remind him, Jesus forgave me, and when I confess, he cleaned me all up, and I'm in great fellowship with the Lord, right? So uh, don't put up with that when the enemy comes, because he'll say stuff. <laughs> he'll try to get you, the reason he's doing it is trying to get you back off of your testimony. When you have a chance to witness to somebody or lift up the Lord, you'll have this thought in your head. 
who do you think you are telling them about Jesus? Look what you did. You know, and he'll bring that to mind. But again, when he does that, don't fall for that trick. Just, just say, hey, Jesus forgave me. I'm completely clean. And guess what? I can tell these people about Jesus, right? So you need to continue to tell people about Jesus and his amazing love and forgiveness, okay? Kind of an interesting note. We'll just mention a couple of things here. We'll stop. This passage we saw here, a lion was the one who, who got to come in and do the dirty work of bringing the judgment on this guy. And the Lord tells us in the New Testament that the devil walks around as a roaring lion seeking whom, may, whom he may destroy or devour, right? And what a strange sight here, too. <laughs> the dead body on the road with a donkey standing on one side and a lion standing on the other. And the lion's not killing anybody else. It's just standing there. Yeah. So you know this had to be of the Lord because the lion never went after the donkey and never ate the guy. It just killed him and threw him in the middle of the road. Okay? So yeah, this, this is a strange sight for somebody coming up there thinking, what is that in the road? Well, I see a dead guy and I see a donkey on one side and a lion on the other. Whoa. Definitely of the Lord. Now one last thought. and I just I ran across this. I thought it was really interesting. I'll read this to you because I'll save you the time of running there if I can get there myself. <clears throat> in 1 John 5, it says this interesting verse. Okay. If anyone sees his brother sinning his sin, which does not lead to death, he will ask, and he will give him life for those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. This man of God committed a sin that led to death. Wow. And I think the Lord lets us see this once in a while to let us realize sin is dangerous. It's deadly. We need to see this. We need to hear this. Because times the enemy will say, go ahead and do this. It's no big deal. Everybody's doing this. And look at them. They're fine. There's nothing going on in their life. Sin is deadly. And God lets us see as a believer, we better really walk careful. Our daddy loves us. He'll take us to the woodshed if we need it. And if we need to, if he's done with us and realize, like this man of God, according to what the Lord's seen, apparently, we're just guessing here, it's like this guy blew his testimony, he compromised. I don't need him anymore. Might as well come home. Wow. There is a sin that leads to death. Man, oh man. Tough lessons here. Lord willing, we'll pick this up next chance we get. Uh, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love, for your mercy and your kindness. Father, I thank you that you know us. You know that we tend to sin. We still got the flesh. There's still a struggle going on. And yet, Lord, when we do, you give us opportunity to confess. And Lord, I thank you today that you, you reminded us that sin doesn't. You just don't look the other way, Lord, but it angers you. I pray you give us your heart when it comes to sin, that it would anger us as well. And Father, I, I thank you that you love us so much that you get past your anger and you're always there for us. Lord, for anybody who's with us today or is watching today and, and this message is really to speak to them, I pray you'd help them, Lord. Help them to just say, I don't want this junk anymore. I want to be free. I want to walk with you, Lord. I don't want to play games. I don't want to possibly mess up and commit a sin to death. Lord, I thank you for your grace and mercy. I pray you help them. Help us all to remember to confess, especially when you bring it before our eyes like you did in this passage. Lord, all glory and praise and honor goes to you. 
and we thank you for that. If anyone is watching today or anyone doesn't know Jesus yet, I pray that you shake them awake, Lord, and help them. They need to know Jesus. Please help them, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing, and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.